We saw last week as we looked really at the if in Exodus 19 and verse 5, we saw that the old covenant was conditional. And so the old covenant hypothetically promised life and blessedness. If you do this, if you keep these commands, then yes, you will live and flourish and be blessed and so on and so forth. However, the old covenant could not deliver the life and blessedness that it hypothetically held out because of the sinfulness of mankind, including the Israelites, ever since the fall of Adam into sin. So because mankind is fallen, including the Israelites, they weren't exempt from the guilt and the corruption that came upon the human race because of Adam's sin. Since mankind has fallen, including the Israelites, a conditional covenant like the old covenant, a covenant of works, which says if you keep God's law and, and obey these things, then you will be blessed. A covenant like that could never result in life and blessedness. Briefly, I want to allude to the section from Romans 2 that I just read. Specifically, I want to draw your attention to verse 13, which says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So, the Jews were certainly hearers of the law. And we're going to explore that idea tonight. But because they were not doers of the law, it turned out that they actually didn't experience the life and blessedness that the Old Covenant hypothetically held out. And Paul is in the middle of making an argument in Romans that the Jews and the Gentiles are both alike in sin, condemned, guilty, deserving of God's wrath. Even though they were hearers of the law, because they were not doers of the law, they really hadn't attained to any kind of superior blessedness over against the other nations of the world. And it is this idea that Paul is building on when he asks in Romans 3.1, then what advantage has the Jew? In other words, if God had entered into this covenant with the Jews, but it didn't really result in life and blessedness, then what's even the advantage of having been given this covenant? In other words, isn't it, if the Jews are in the same state of life and blessedness as like the Philistines of old, as the Romans, as whoever else anywhere in the world, if they're kind of all in the same state, they're all guilty, they're all under sin, none have attained life and blessedness, Jews nor Gentiles. If everybody's in the same state, then what advantage has the Jew? What did it profit them to have been given the old covenant? 
to have been hearers of the law. And Paul's answer in Romans 3.2, he says there are, there are uh, definitely advantages to being a Jew. And he says chiefly, or first of all, the advantage was that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, one commentator contrasts the oracles of God with general revelation. In other words, there are things that we can learn about God, about truth, just from observing the world around us, from looking at the, the order that is latent in the world, from uh, just observing the principles of conscience uh, that is common to all mankind. There are things that we can learn to some extent about that there, well, first of all, that there is a God, some things that we can know about God. Romans 1 talks about this idea. There is some knowledge of God in general revelation, such that all men are without excuse, Romans 1 teaches us. But one commentator contrasts the oracles of God with general revelation, saying that the oracles of God are that which God actually spoke, the words of God, as opposed to the revelation that he has given us of himself in creation. God wrote his law on Adam's heart, but it wasn't words, right? In other words, he impressed upon him in the beginning what was right and wrong. He taught him uh, internally what was right and what was wrong. So it was not just don't eat of that tree, right? It's not as if Adam could go around in the garden uh, you know, he couldn't just go and murder Eve and be like, well, at least I didn't break God's law. All of the things that later become codified and explicit were still, he was still morally obligated to do even in the beginning. But it's not as if God literally took a pen and wrote it on the physical organ of his heart or something like that. When we say that it was written on his heart, we don't mean that words were written on his heart. We mean that he had a God-given understanding of what was right and wrong as part of his nature, as part of his constitution, inwardly. In contrast to that, when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he literally wrote the Ten Commandments in words. He took his finger and he wrote them on tablets of stone. That would be an oracle of God then, right? Or um, when we look around and we see the rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun shining on the righteous and the unrighteous, it might teach us something about God's grace and God's mercy. If we look around and we see how, how bad we are and how bad people are, but we see that God still gives us good gifts like rainfall. We might know something of his grace, something of his mercy. But when God explicitly tells us that, that he is a gracious God, forgiving iniquity and trespasses and sins, as he does in Exodus 34, that is the oracles of God. It's the actual words. So, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the actual words. So the 
Canaanites who were in the promised land before the Israelite conquest, they could look around at general revelation. And they had a conscience within them instructing them that there is some kind of right and wrong. It's not a totally reliable guide, as Romans 2, even which we just read, says. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, which I understand to mean that sometimes your conscience tells you, yeah, yeah, it's fine, when really it's not. (laughs) Or sometimes your conscience tells you, oh, 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 that's really bad, when really it's actually okay. Your, your conscience is not an absolutely reliable guide, but it still gives you some sense that there is a thing called right and a thing called wrong. And so they, they knew something of that. They could look around and see the design and the order of the universe and extrapolate that there is a God. You know, they could, again, see the rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun shining on the righteous and the unrighteous, and they could say, okay, he must be a merciful God because look at all the bad stuff we do. We sin even against our own consciences, and yet God still gives us good gifts. There must be some mercy and some grace in God. The Canaanites or anyone else in the world could extrapolate those kinds of things from general revelation. But the Jews were told explicitly who God is and what God is like. They were given the oracles of God, words which brought clarity. Clarity with respect to God's law. Conscience is not an absolutely reliable guide. Ever since the fall of mankind into sin, conscience is no longer reliable. Before the fall, Adam could trust his intuition about what was right and what was wrong because it wasn't broken yet. It was an instrument that was still working. But it's like, as I've said before, when Adam sinned, it was, it was as if... Uh, there was a, somebody took a ball-peen hammer and tapped a mirror. And all of these little lines came in and the, the reflection was distorted. Where Adam could have seen what was right and what was wrong clearly by his conscience beforehand. Now he can kind of make out, as looking in a broken mirror, something like yeah, okay, I think that's kind of wrong. I think it must be not exactly right, but I'm not 100% sure what do we do in this complex situation or that. Conscience became a no longer reliable guide. It still tells us something, but it doesn't tell us exactly clearly. So the giving of God's law, the oracles of God pertaining to God's law, helped clarify exactly, precisely, what is right and what is wrong so that people didn't have to look inside at the ambiguity in their own hearts and wonder am I doing what's right am I doing what's wrong the oracles of God were a gift that helped clarify what is right and what is wrong and then the oracles of God that pertain to the gospel were given to the Jews. So even the record of the what's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, where God said to the serpent that one of Eve's descendants would crush his head. We recognize this as the first explicit gospel promise, that a seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. 
This was preserved, you understand, in the, the oral tradition first and then written down for the Jews. It was the Jews who received the book of Genesis. And so the Canaanites or anyone else might be like, okay, if we're, if we're bad and we kind of know we are from our conscience, and yet God keeps giving us rain for our crops, there must be some mercy in God. And they could reason and rationalize something like that from general revelation. But the Jews had this promise of a seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. How much more specific? And then God gives them the Passover lamb. And God gives them this whole sacrificial system with lambs upon whose heads they lay their hands and confess their sins, transferring the guilt, as it were, and then slaughtering that lamb in their place. And a priest takes the blood of the lamb and goes into God's presence and intercedes on their behalf. And the fact that there even is a tabernacle in their midst and a temple later in their midst which shows them that God is willing to dwell with man. If there's a sufficient priest, if there's a sufficient sacrifice, God is willing to accept the work of the priest and the blood of the Lamb, and so condescend to dwell with man, forgiving sins and being reconciled and reunited with them. You see how the oracles of God are so much more specific so much more clear than the general revelation that was available to the other nations. With respect to both law and gospel, the oracles of God were way clearer than what the rest of the nations could deduce and infer from general revelation. What Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 2 that the chief benefit and blessing of being a Jew is that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What Paul is teaching us is that there is an advantage to having an external knowledge of God's law and God's gospel. It is a blessing and a benefit to grow up in Old Testament Israel as opposed to growing up in Philistia, for example, or Babylon. There is an advantage to being brought up in a home which has the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, over against being brought up in a home which has no oracles of God. There is an advantage. And of course, the Jews didn't deserve the oracles of God any more than anyone else. The Jews weren't giving, given the oracles of God because they merited it. And therefore, it's a grace of sorts, right? God graciously gave the Jews his oracles, specific words pertaining to his law and his gospel. This was gracious so even though the Old Covenant was a works-based covenant, even though it was a covenant of works, it was nevertheless a gracious covenant because God never had to enter into it with them in the first place. They didn't deserve it. He didn't owe it to them. And it did place them 
in an advantaged position over against other nations because they could know more clearly what God's law is and what God's gospel is. And so even though it was a covenant of works, it was also at the same time a gracious covenant. But here's what we need to understand. Not all grace is saving. So God made them hearers of the law. God made them recipients of his oracles. And this was gracious. It was a privilege to receive the oracles of God, to be entrusted with the oracles of God, to see and to know more clearly what God's law is, what God's gospel is. It was a privilege. It was a blessing. It was a grace. But as Paul has just explained in the end of Romans 2, it is not the hearers of the law that are justified, but the doers of the law. In other words, if you know what God's law is, if you receive the oracles of God concerning God's law, and yet you still disobey it, then you will be judged by that law. And you will perish like the rest of mankind. If you have God's law, but you do not keep it, you are still a sinner. And so not only are the Gentiles under the wrath of God, but the Jews who were entrusted with God's oracles, who were given God's law, who were hearers of God's law, who disobeyed it, they are also under God's judgment, under God's wrath. So though they had grace... It was not saving grace. Again, we can say the same thing about God's gospel. They were entrusted with the oracles of God concerning God's gospel. They were entrusted with the oracle that a seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. They were entrusted with the oracle that in Abraham's seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They were entrusted with the oracle that God provided and continues to provide a lamb who may die in the place of God's people so that God's wrath may justly pass over a home full of sinners. They were entrusted with these oracles concerning God's gospel, that there, there is such a thing as priests, there is such a thing as an atoning sacrifice, there is such a thing as a meeting place between God and man, all of which foreshadowed and prefigured a Messiah who would come, including the explicit promises of the Messiah, like the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham, who would crush the serpent's head and bless the nations of the earth. They received all these oracles, which revealed to them God's gospel, God's mercy, God's grace, way more clearly than anyone could ever deduce or infer from general revelation. And yet, if they did not believe, they were just as damned, just as condemned as the other nations. So it was a grace for them to receive the gospel externally as it was for them to receive the law externally. 
It was a grace to receive that, to be given that, but not all grace is saving. The application for us is that we should not settle for an external knowledge of God's law and God's gospel, but we must respond with faith. It is a privilege to live in a country where there are lots of Christian churches. It is a grace. It's a grace to live in a place where there are lots of Bibles. It's a grace to live in a place where you can turn on the radio and hear music about Jesus. Or hear preaching, gospel preaching on the radio. People talking about sin and hell and judgment and forgiveness and faith and grace and Christ. It is a privilege to live in a land like Barbados where these things are in front of us. You understand that we have been blessed with the oracles of God. There are places in the world where there are no Christian churches. There are places in the world where there is no Bible in the language of those people. We have been blessed as Barbadians with the oracles of God. Every Barbadian has an advantage over people in an unreached people group. As the Jews had advantages had an advantage over those who were not entrusted with the oracles of God back in that day. We have been entrusted with the oracles of God. To us, these things have come, have been given. Many Barbadians could finish, if I started for them, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Especially a generation ago, but even, even many of the young persons today could finish that if I started it. That he gave his only begotten son. They'd pick up right where you left off and finish it. You see, they know it. There is a knowledge of it. I speak with, from time to time, People who give no evidence whatsoever of being regenerate, born-again Christians with a real relationship with Christ Jesus, of being reconciled to God. There's no evidence whatsoever by their lifestyle, by their choices, even by the context in which we speak. Just... A couple of times over the last month, I've spoken to somebody who is at that very moment noticeably drunk. And as we speak, they're quoting to me different Bible verses. You understand? In Barbados, we have we culturally have been given the oracles of God, entrusted with the oracles of God in a way that not every nation has. There is this external knowledge 
of the Bible, of God's law and God's gospel. But we must respond with faith. The cultural Christian who thinks, well, I live in a Christian nation. We have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Therefore, of course, I'm good with God. Of course, I'm right with God. Because I'm among God's people. We are all God's people. Look, we've, we've received the law. We've received the gospel. Look, we're a Christian nation. The cultural Christian who grew up going to Sunday school, who grew up going to church, who grew up memorizing Bible verses, and yet has no faith in Christ Jesus, is not trusting in his life, in his death, in his resurrection for salvation from sin. He is in no better place than the Jews of old who had the law, who had the gospel, who had the oracles of God, but did not believe, and whom Paul therefore says in Romans chapter 2, are condemned. You may be damned in spite of a knowledge of God's law and God's gospel. You may go to hell in spite of an external possession of the oracles of God. You may go to hell even though you've memorized John 3.16. Yes, you have God's law. But if you have not obeyed it, you are guilty. Yes, you have God's gospel, but if you have not believed it, you will not be saved. It is not merely about possessing it externally. But taking advantage of that privilege to believe. Taking advantage of that privilege to enter into a saving relationship with God through Christ Jesus. The cultural Christian needs to understand that he won't be saved because there are lots of churches in Barbados. He won't be saved because there are lots of Bibles in Barbados. And he won't be saved because there are a lot of Bible verses in his head. To have received these things, to have been brought up in this culture is a grace. But not all grace is saving. Unless he believes, he will likewise perish. The churchgoer needs to understand the same thing. Some might say, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not a drunk. <laughs> There's a big difference, you see. Because, yes, I grew up going to Sunday school and I still go to church. Yes, I grew up memorizing Bible verses. And guess what? I was just in the Word this morning. And memorize the Bible verse. I have the oracles of God. I have God's law. I have God's gospel. I've been brought up in this culture. And I am still doing the church thing. Even if you are in a church building every Sunday. Even if you have a Bible knowledge that surpasses the sinners out there who stopped 
going to Sunday school once they came of age. Even if you've kind of advanced in cultural Christianity beyond those people, such that you're still in church. But if you don't know Jesus savingly, if you're not trusting in Him, if you're not relying on His life, His death, His resurrection, it's still external to you. You're like a religious Jew who boasts in the law that they have the law, boasts in God that they as a people have God, and that they know His will and approve what is excellent because they're instructed from the law. This is Romans 2, 18, 19, 20. If you're boasting and, and your, your confidence is in the fact that as a Bajan and as a Bajan churchgoer, you got the right information. If that's where your confidence is, you're still damned. You're still condemned. You're still not saved. The churchgoer needs to understand that even he, even she can't settle for a merely external knowledge of God's law and God's gospel. It's not just an intellectual pursuit here. It's not about belonging to the right denomination or having the right set of doctrines. It's a grace, sure, to be among God's people, to be in an evangelical church that preaches the Bible, preaches the gospel. Sure, it's a grace to be there. It's good for you to be there. I'm not, you know, I'm not against church attendance. But you need to understand that if it's merely an external thing that you just kind of do it, because that's how you were brought up. That's what your family does Sunday by Sunday. You're not... You're not one to rock the boat. And in fact, you kind of you don't mind it. It's kind of inspirational to you. It kind of lifts your spirit. But if you don't have faith in Christ Jesus, it won't profit you. Just as the external religion of the Jews of old didn't profit them apart from faith. This is Paul's point. It's not just the irreligious people out there, the Gentiles, that are guilty. Even the religious people, the Jews, can still be lost, though they are Jews. This is Paul's point. One more category I'm going to give you, and that's the child in the Christian home. It is a grace to be brought up in a Christian home. But not all grace is saving. You see? As it was a grace for God to give the old covenant to the Jews of old. To give them his oracles. To give them a specific and fuller knowledge of his law and his gospel. As it is a grace for us to be living in Barbados where there are lots of Christian churches and lots of Bibles. Christian stuff on the radio. And yet you can still be lost even as a Jew living under the old covenant. You can still be lost as a Barbadian. So it's a grace to be brought up in a Christian home, but you can still be lost even though you grew up in a Christian home. We need to teach our children that they are not Christians simply because their parents are Christians. They're not Christians simply because they learned the catechism. 
They're not Christians simply because they memorize Bible verses. We need to teach our kids that what makes them Christians is trusting in Jesus. We need to press on them that they have to take advantage of the grace of being brought up in a Christian home by believing. That you can't just get to heaven and say, well, I was brought up in a Christian home and plead that as your entry ticket or pass into heaven. A mere external knowledge of God's oracles, God's law and God's gospel will not save anyone. Though it's a grace to have that, those oracles, though it's a grace to have God's law and God's gospel, a mere external knowledge won't cut it. We've got to press faith on our kids. Children, I know some of you are probably listening at home. You have to trust in Jesus. It's not enough simply just that your parents trust in Jesus. You have to trust Jesus too. It's not enough simply just to memorize your catechism questions or to listen attentively during family worship or come to church. Those things are good and you should keep doing those things, but you need to trust in Jesus. It's really important for you personally. You've got to make that decision yourself in your own heart that you want to love Jesus and trust Jesus and worship Jesus and follow Jesus. You yourself have to choose that and decide that. We have to understand that it is a grace to be brought up in a Christian home or in a Christian culture. It is a grace to receive the oracles of God. Now, as it was then, the Jews of old received the oracles of God. We as Barbadians received the oracles of God. They, in contrast to the Gentiles, we, in contrast to unreached peoples, right? Or, or children in believing homes over against children in, growing up in unbelieving, pagan homes, secular homes. It's better to have good influences than bad influences. It's better to have Bibles in the home than not and opened and read rather than not. It's better to have access to all this stuff. It's, it's all grace, but not all grace is same. We need, we should not settle for an external knowledge of God's law and God's gospel, but we must respond with faith. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, it's speaking about those who left Egypt in the Exodus. And it says, good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, it's the same good news that comes to us today as came to those who left Egypt in the Exodus. But we see with them a case study that that good news, that message didn't benefit all of them. You understand? Because they didn't exercise faith. We need to be careful to make sure that the good news that comes to us, just as it came to them, actually benefits us. And how will it benefit us? When we believe it. 
when we place faith in the promises of God, when we are united by faith with all those in every age who truly listen. That's when it moves from being a mere external thing to an internal thing. That's when it moves from grace that is not saving to grace that is, when we appropriate it and make it ours. One last analogy, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Say what you want about the Barbadian medical system. It's a lot better than a lot of places in the world, right? Sure, maybe there are some shortcomings. But it's a lot better than a lot of places in the world. So couldn't we say that we're objectively privileged to be Barbadians with access to the medical care that we have in this island? We're objectively privileged. But if you get sick or if you get injured and you don't go make use of it, then does it actually benefit you just to be here in this country with a decent medical system? No. Though we have a reasonably good medical system on a global scale, it doesn't benefit us unless we actually go appropriate it and make use of it and go see a doctor, go get the medication that we need. So it is, there's something objectively good about having access to this book and all that it contains. God's law and God's gospel. There's something objectively good about that. But unless we take the medicine, it won't do us any good on the last day to say, well, at least I lived in a country where I could have accessed the Bible, where I could have believed in God's gospel, where I could have admitted that examined by the standard of God's law, I'm a sinner, where I could have humbled myself where I could have repented, where I could have believed in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At least I lived somewhere where I could have done those things. That will do you no good. You've got to actually go and be treated by the oracles of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe the oracles of God. Don't just settle for the grace that it is to have external access to these things.